0: It was like we were in the throne room of God, and and as to the beat of the drums, we were marching and we were swaying, and we were singing that song in the throne room of God as in a multitude of people, and it, it occurred to me that one day that will be the reality. One day that will be where we are, in the throne room of God, singing to him that he is worthy, because he is. I want to welcome everybody here this morning particularly John. Thank you for coming and sharing about the kids' camps again. Stacey went on the last one. I know she enjoyed it. She went kicking and screaming a little bit, but she did enjoy it. I had to laugh when Shannon described his uh, decorating the bedrooms as a jungle. My kids have that theme in their bedrooms every day. I open the door, it's got a little musical thing that says, welcome to the jungle, when they come in, and I've learned over the years, Oh, (laughs) I've learned over the years to make sure when I sneak in to give them a kiss goodnight that I turn the light on first, because I will get hurt if I don't, something will reach up and grab me. Well, I hope Mark and Cheryl are having a great holiday. We probably can rest in the knowledge that you know, I think they're at Phillip Island, is that right? So we know that they're colder than us, so they haven't gone to the warmth, that's a good thing. Um, today we're going to be talking about money. So I know Mark said when he started this church that he was never going to talk about money. He doesn't even have a collection every week. He has the thing up the back, so it's all very low-key. And so he's true to his word, he's not going to talk about money, he's made me do it. So <laughs> I said thank you very much for that. So, today we're going to talk about money, and the theme for today is mind your own business. And uh, so let's just dive right into scripture. Oh, I've got a little control. Who's got a little control for the uh, on the ground? Oh, right here. Okay. Proverbs 22. Scripture says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So what is the borrower? The borrower is. Help me out here. Come on, guys. The borrower is? Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Let's all try that. The borrower is? (laughs) Servant. Servant. The Hebrew word for that is ebed. Ebed. And it's translated as uh, servant. It's translated as slave. Uh, It Translation means bondage. So it means slave or bondage. So if you're in bondage, and the vast majority of Australians, unfortunately, are in financial bondage. We're slaves to our finances. So how do you know if you're in financial bondage? Well, if you've ever said something like this, man, I'd love to tithe. I'd love to be able to give 10% to the church, but I just feel like I won't have enough to pay the bills. That's bondage. I'd love to give beyond what we currently give, but I just can't. That's bondage. If you ever felt like God was calling to do you to do something, to go on a mission trip or to, to go on a short-term mission or to give money to somebody and you, but you haven't done it, that's bondage. If you've ever had it break again, you know the thing every house has one of those it things for us, it's the pool pump. If you've ever had it break, could be your refrigerator, your air conditioner, or whatever, it breaks again and you don't have the money to fix it, that's bondage. I hear it all the, t- all the time, you know, young couples, um, they go, oh, we're in love. We want to get married. You know, all the love songs on the radio make sense to us now. And it's just, it's just this wonderful feeling of goosebumps and tingles up my spine, but we haven't got enough money to get married yet. That's bondage. Well, they get married and they have, they have this wonderful relationship and they want to they wanna bring a child into the world because they believe that children are a blessing from God. Thank you very much, Stacey. (laughs) That wasn't on cue, by the way. I think that was just an unprovoked laughter. Believe it or not, they are a blessing from God. They are a blessing from God. I keep saying that to myself every day. They're a blessing from God. But we can't afford to bring children into the world, and that's bondage. Or you've got two, and you would like a third. But that's going to stretch your finances too far. Bondage. People say, I'd like my wife to be able to stay at home. I'd like her not to have to work. But we need two incomes. It's bondage. The borrower is a bed. He is a slave. He is a servant. He is in bondage to the lender. So why are we going to talk this week uh, about money? Let me me tell you why. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.21. He said, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Let me give you some horrifying stats that I've gleaned this week. Last year, the average Australian spent $1.22 for every dollar that he earned or she earned. Let that sink in for a minute. We spent $1.22 for every dollar that we earned. Now, first thing you need to understand is that that boat ain't going to float for long. The second thing you need to understand is what it tells you is that our treasure is plainly in this world. We live in one of the most prosperous countries on earth and yet we think we need more than what we earn. We need to be able to spend more than what we earn as if it's going to make us happy. Our treasure is in this world. And if our treasure is here, our heart's here also. And that's a problem if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. So while I talk about money in church? Let me tell you a couple of things you may not know or you may. Two-thirds of Jesus' parables, little stories he told to illustrate the gospel, two-thirds of them, 66% of his parables dealt with money, finances and possessions. So if we were to do this right, if we were to do church perhaps in the way that that Jesus did it, six out of every ten messages would be on money. So that would either make us a very financially well-off or very financially savvy church or it would make us an empty church. Because I know a lot of people who've left churches because they keep talking about money. One in ten gospel verses, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, one in ten gospel verses deals with money and possessions. 2,300 verses in scripture talk about it. That's five times as many that talk about prayer, but five times as many that talk about faith. Managing God's finances is a profoundly spiritual topic and that's why we're going to talk about it today. So what is the big problem? Well, big problem is that the majority of us Australians we've bought into some financial lies. And for example, how many of you would say this? How many would say that you would hope that your children end up better off than you are financially? How many of you would say that? One up the back. Okay, everyone, everyone doesn't give a rat about their children, huh? Eh? Okay, a few hands. I do. I do. I hope they end up better off than me. But the problem is that What happens is when our kids grow up and they get married, at 25 years old, they try and emulate what their parents have. And so at 25, they will try and have the same lifestyle, the same possessions, the same bank account, as their parents have spent 30 years building. And they'll do it by debt. They'll leverage themselves out to the extent so they can actually have that. And I know this because uh, when we moved into our first house, it was a nine-square box on a postage stamp block and we borrowed everything to have it. We didn't have a deposit or anything. Now, when I'm designing houses, that's what I do as a business, I design houses. I'm designing 30 square houses for first home buyers. And let me tell you, when they first move in, it's fully furnished. And there's only one way that that can happen, and that's by leveraging themselves out to finance it. it took me 30 years of adulthood to get to that level. They would have it straight away. Other lies we buy into, that we deserve it. Mmm, that's a good one. We deserve it. We think there's certain things that without them, we won't be happy. And I know people today who honestly believe that without a flat screen, 3D, HD, HDMI output TV, 60 inch, in their house, they won't be happy. Or they've got to have two of them. Or I'm designing houses now that have a TV point in every bedroom. So that our kids don't have to watch what we want to watch. Or even in the ensuite. Seriously. Just because one day we might want to have a bath and watch the Tour de France or something. Something. Like we can't be happy if that's and I'll tell you what, believing those that we have to have those things to be happy is a lie. The funny thing is that the very thing that most people want most people want iPods, iPhones, smartphones, reversing camera in your car like you, you can't do that anymore. You've got to be able to look at a camera. Connectivity, all these things didn't exist five or ten years ago. They didn't exist. My kids can't believe we were happy without computers. When I went to school, they didn't exist. How on earth did we get things done? I still believe, I remember the first one that came into our office, and uh, Deanna, my wife, was uh, was the secretary in the office, and she got to use the first Apple computer that I ever saw. And she was the secretary, and all she did was type letters on it. And essentially, that was probably all it was good for at that point. A desktop was what you had at at work, where you put the photo of your family. And a laptop was where you sat to have Dad read you a nighttime story. Other lies, there's millions of them. One of them is you're always going to have a car payment. You're always going to have a car payment. You're always going to have a car payment. And it can be a truth if you say it often enough because it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it shouldn't be true at all. I fell for that one. For the first eight years of my business, we leased two cars because my accountant says it was a tax deduction. Yeah, it was, but we still had to pay them off. So one of the most foolish things you can ever do is leverage yourself for a depreciating asset that's worth 20% less than when you drive when you drive it out of, the, out of the lot, it's worth 20% less than what you just paid for it. That is foolishness. And what's happened is that businesses for years in Australia have been very successful at marketing debt. They've marketed it to us. And we feel good sometimes about being in bondage. Got another credit card in the mail, praise God. God didn't send you the credit card, He didn't. When we when we bought this house that we're currently in, we had to cut up quite a few of them. They were in our we we weren't using them, but they were in our wallet. And the bank said, "Well, you have the capacity to leverage yourself out about another fifty thousand dollars," and that they saw us as a risk because of that. So we cut a few credit cards up. I don't know you. I don't know about you, but it, it makes me mad. I'm sick of, tired of seeing great people, great families, God's church in financial bondage and not being free to give because of it. So if you're mad about that, like I'm mad about that, why don't you give me a mad face? Thank you, Darren. Good on. Okay, I've got a couple, but like mad, like really mad. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Very nice. So the problem is most of us didn't give a mad face. You know why? Because we're not mad. We think it's normal. It's normal to have this kind of debt. It's normal to have these financial pressures. You know, I'm sick of normal. Normal is a hex student loan. Normal is a car loan. Normal is a house mortgage. Normal is credit card debt. And I'm mad that the, the church hurts financially because they can't. Give because they think that it's normal. I have a question for you. How many of you have your own business? One, two, three, okay. A few, a few of us. Let me help you change a thought process for just a minute. And here's a key thought. If If you're taking notes, write this down. The key thought is God has given every single one of you a business. Every single one of you has a business. There's a couple of parables that Jesus told, and I want, I want you to read them. I won't read them out now, but the story, there's a couple of stories. One, one is the parable of the shrewd managers, called the parable of the shrewd managers. And one's the parable of the foolish and wise stewards. And when you see, in look in those parables, the overriding thing you see is this um, thing that God owns everything, but he trusts you to manage it. He trusts you. So in a very real sense, you are a manager of God's business. The finances you have are what God has given you, but they're his. But he's given you the opportunity to manage them. And what happens when God gives you that? He, said he loves, if you read the scriptures, you'll see he loves to reward faithful managers. He rewards them. For those who are not faithful, if you read the scriptures, he takes it away from them. And when you start to see your finances as God's business, it will change the way you think about them. So I just try and embrace that mindset. Now, here's a question. Why do the majority of small businesses fail? If you read articles, they'll tell you the majority of small businesses don't, don't plan. And that's why they fail. Now, as my dad used to say, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So what we need to do is this. We need to devise our own personal business plan for the finances that God has given us. I like what J.C. Penney did. J.C. Penney is an American. We can still use his quote, though. He said this, Give me a store clerk with a goal, and I'll give you a person who will change the world. But give me a person without a goal, and I'll show you a store clerk. We need to sit and seek God and live according to the plan that he gives us to manage his business. Proverbs 21.5, the Bible says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, surely as the haste leads to poverty. Planning seeking God leads to prosperity. And blessings as surely as haste leads to poverty. So what we're going to do is we're going to set a plan so that our small business that God has trusted us with doesn't fail. So here's your assignment for week one. It's very, very simple. Your assignment for week one is to define your vision. What's your vision? What's God calling you to be about? What's he calling you personally to do? Let me give you an illustration that that might kind of help you along this lines. If I throw out a scenario to you, just if everyone could participate, that would be great. Um, Let's say I had the ability to offer you a job in a different city, Sydney, Perth, Brisbane, Darwin, whatever. And to do that, all warmer climates than here, by the way. Okay, to do that, let's say I offered you an extra $120 a year. Who'd be in for that? Who'd say, I'm going, $120 a year, I'm there. I got one. Okay, okay, you got one. Okay. All right, let's up the ante. Not many, not many takers. Let's say I was able to offer you twelve hundred dollars a year. All right, so if you do the math, that's hundred dollars a month. An extra hundred dollars a month. That could be pretty handy. Who's in? Who's moving? Oh, I got some of the younger ones going, okay. All right, should have held out. Let's say what was up to? Twelve hundred. Let's say I offer you twelve thousand a year thousand dollars a month, that's a lot of money. Okay. Who'd be putting the house on the market and moving cities, moving states? Who's going? Nobody, okay. Well, you like Melbourne? <laughs> I like Melbourne too. It's just a hypothetical though, so. so let's go okay, let's give me some I'll give you something you can't you can't reject. Hundred and twenty thousand a year. Talking ten thousand dollars a month. Who's going? All of us. Hands up everywhere. Okay. All right. Now, there are churches in Australia and in America and around the world that will gladly pay Mark and Cheryl that much extra than what they're making now to go and pastor those churches, even to be an associate. Now, I'm thinking with four kids to support and having spent the last two or three years in Fiji, they should probably take that offer. Who thinks they should? Nobody thinks they should. Why not? Because he's the preacher. (laughs) We don't want him to go because he's the preacher. Now, hang on a minute. You guys were happy to go. Why can't he? You know, I think... um, You need to know your mission. Mark and Cheryl know what their mission and what their vision is. And it's here. I can tell you that $10 million, or maybe not $10 million, maybe $5 million wouldn't drive them away from here. Because their vision, their mission is in this place. And what you need to have is a vision-driven mission, not a money-driven mission. So you won't go anywhere that God doesn't tell you to go, regardless of what money is involved. <coughs> you want to be driven and led by God, not by the dollars. So what's your vision? Do you have one? Let me tell you a little bit about ours. And so now I know this will make some of you uncomfortable because you know, everyone's uncomfortable talking about their money stuff. And I'm probably going to give you more detail than you need. But I think sometimes it's good to be honest and to give you the truth. So my story, our story. I grew up on a farm, seven generations of farmers. And Deanna grew up on a ranch. That's my wife, Deanna, grew up on a ranch with her parents in full-time ministry. So both of our families knew how to skimp and save. Six weeks before we got married, our wedding day, I lost my job. I was sacked six weeks before we got married, which put our honeymoon arrangements into disarray. Guess what the only thing we argued about on honeymoon was? Money. Money was it. For the first few months of our marriage, we rented a house where we had two other people living in with us. That's right. We didn't build our own house. We rented a house and we had two other people living with us. Our first house, as I said, was a nine squares on a postage stamp size block. Tiny little thing it was, but it was home. We worked to afford that house. We worked three mornings a week. We cleaned offices in Noble Park. So we would start at 5.30. We would clean up until, say, 7.30 or something like that. Then we'd come home. Deanna go off to her job. I'd go off to my job. We'd come home after that. I'd work at night while Deanna cooked the dinner and whatever. A little bit later on when we had a baby, Stacy, um, she would come with us. We would sit her on the floor, um, on the cold tile floor in this thing with these toys surrounding her, and we'd go around about our business. And then we'd go home. I'd go off to work, Deanna would stay home with Stacy during the day. When we got I got home from work, we'd tag at the door. I'd I'd get the like literally, <laughs> she'd be standing at the door of the baby going, Here <laughs> And I would come in, take the baby. She would go off to work for it as a checkout chick at Harry Heath's, which is the old IGA, the old, old Fountain Gate now. And and then she would get home sometime later at night and we would get to talk. Meanwhile, after I'd put Stacey to bed, I'd be on my drafting board doing work after hours to try and make ends meet. And that was a pattern we had for years. We lived on a wage, my wage, of $20,000 a year, plus whatever else we could skimp together to actually be able to afford to live. And during that time, we were faithful. God had convicted us that tithing was what we needed to do. It was one of the non-negotiables in our life. And so we were always faithful in giving our 10% minimum to God. And I I remember vividly times where Deanna sent me back to the video shop with a video saying, we can't afford to watch that movie this week. Now, I tell you, that's humiliating. When you go back to the video shop 10 minutes after you've hired it, Saying, yuck, you haven't yet yeah, I obviously haven't watched it. Saying, Sorry, um, yeah, can I have my money back, please? But they were things we had to do. But God was faithful. Each time we had a child, I got a new job. And I got a pay rise. Every single time. Except for Bethany. <laughs> when we had Bethany, we started our business and we got a severe pay drop. For six months. And after that, it came good again. So God was faithful. We moved to our current house that we're currently living in now. We had what's called a line of credit. Anybody ever had a line of credit? It's a trap. It's a trap. We were there for four years. Um, and after the four years, we sat down and looked at our finances. We had not paid a single cent off our mortgage. We were four years in and we had paid nothing off. And then I heard this message, the one I'm giving you right now. And it was a part of a series of four messages and it changed my life. And what we did was we, we refinanced, we got it into a standard home loan where we could actually see the balance coming down when we paid it off. We had a mortgage offset account where all of our cash went into to offset the interest of the loan. And then we set it up on weekly payments because it gives you one more payment per year, which makes a difference, believe it or not, in paying off a mortgage. And then we paid as much as we possibly could. Instead of paying the minimum, we put whatever we could extra into that mortgage. Our last church had a building program. Don't you love churches with building programs? They asked us for pledges. Now, I I was uh, not that happy with having to sit and pray and ask God how much money I should give to the church. But God said to me, I want you to give $30,000. Now, I went, After I went, no! I said, well, hang on. He said, you're not giving to the church, you're giving to me. It's not the church asking for it, it's me asking for it. So I said, okay, we'll do that. Now, that was over a three-year period, so $10,000 a year. After two years, we were a little bit disgruntled with the church and decided that we wanted to leave. But one of the biggest dilemmas we had was there was still $10,000 owing On our pledge, of course, no one was ever going to hold us to that except God. So we prayed about it. We'd known lots of people who had left and not fulfilled their pledges. That's why the church was struggling to actually pay for the building program. And God said to us, no, I gave you the figure. I gave you the increase in your income to be able to afford it. I deserve to be paid. And so we did. We paid it. And let me tell you, that was a freeing moment. It was a freeing moment to be able to walk away knowing that our debts were paid and we didn't have to look back. See, over the last four or five years since I heard this message, we have paid off our cars. In fact, the last one we paid cash for. We've built two investment homes. And God willing, in 12 months' time, when Stacey finishes school and we have her school fees back, we will have be debt-free on our house as well. And so God is good. God is good. He teaches us as we go, providing we listen and put into practice what he teaches us, which is the biggest issue, isn't it? Putting it into practice. It's okay hearing it. It's another thing doing. Our vision here at this church is to be extravagantly generous. That's our theme for this year. And when I heard that, that really resonated with us because that's my heart. I would love to be like that. Has anybody seen the show um, Undercover Boss? Yeah. Isn't that an awesome show? When I get, I, I can sit through the whole show, that's fine. But when I get to the last five minutes, there is not an episode where I'm not in tears. Every single time I'm in tears because he is changing someone's life. You know, he... he, he for those of you who haven't seen it, he goes around into this... This is a very wealthy man who's normally CEO of the company or something, or the founder of the company. And he goes around undercover in his own company and works with the workers who are working in his company. And he hears their stories. And when he calls them all into the office at the end, they think they're coming in to vote on something and they're all a bit anxious. And he does things like pay off their mortgage, give them promotions, pay rises, pays for their children's education. And they end up in tears. And so do I. And I say to God, that is what I want to do. That is what I want to be. That's my vision. What's yours? I mean, it better not be that, but it better be something that's particular to you, that God has given you. You know, maybe your vision is to have your kids in Christian education, which doesn't make you normal. Now, maybe you're willing to go through a lot for that. You know, normal is having a $50,000 car with leather seats to sit on. And maybe you're happy with cloth. Maybe you're happy even without power windows. You have to wind up your windows. Yeah, <laughs> see? That's it. But you're happy to do that because it's consistent with the vision that God has given you. Maybe your vision, and you're a weirdo, is that you believe that your children should be raised by you and not in daycare. Maybe that's your vision. We did that. We, wanted, we decided that we, did, we didn't want our kids in daycare. We wanted Deanna to be home with the kids. And, and God saw us through. doesn't work that way for everybody. It's not everybody's vision, but that was our vision. Our kids didn't see a single day of daycare. And that's weird. It's different. So it may be that you want your wife to stay at home. It's not for everybody, but maybe it's for you. And so you live in this little cramped house, which is not perfect but it means you can fulfill the vision that you have. Or maybe your vision is for both of you to work for three years full time to get out of debt and be free. Maybe that's your vision. Or maybe you're not married and you love to give and maybe you move into a house and you bring in three or four roommates to help pay that house for you that gives you more freedom to give. So what's your vision? Because... It's a vision driven decision, not selfishly motivated by financial gain. What's your vision? Here's what I hope. I hope that Romans 13 8 becomes part of your vision. But let me just say for the record being in debt is not a sin. Okay? Don't let me make you feel, you know, sit there and feel guilty. Being in debt is not a sin. House debt is probably the best debt. Okay? Because it's an appreciating asset. Some business debt is good to help leverage your business and, and, uh, and help it grow. Uh, car debt is just plain silly because uh, it's depreciating. And consumer debt is taking us out, all of us. So I hope this is part of your vision. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another would be great not to have a debt except to God to love one another? I want you to visualize this. I want you to feel it. And I want you to have a hope and a passion to believe that it's possible. Especially for you young people who haven't dug yourselves into any holes yet, any financial holes. Okay? If you work hard for a few years, you work smart for a few years, you can be free forever. Imagine this, no more student loans, no more hex payment. Imagine what it would feel like not having that hanging over your head. Imagine no car payments ever. Imagine no credit card payment. Imagine no mortgage payment. I mean, what could you do with that money? few years of discipline hard work and I know look I know some of you are glazing over right now because like the electricity bills due and I don't have the cash what do you mean it's possible it's not possible it's impossible now let me tell you it is possible few years of discipline you save up for everyone here under 20 that means you don't spend everything you earn got it yep yeah, that's what saving means got that Stacy good it's a radical concept. You put a deposit down on a, on a house. You get a 25-year loan. You have got no car payment because you bought an old rubbishy car that you could afford. <laughs> Off carry. <laughs> you pay a little each month or better still, you set up weekly payments like I said before and you pay an extra one each, each year. You're debt-free in seven years. Seven years. Your house is paid for. It's possible. And it's the most freeing thing imaginable. I and mean, I am looking so forward to that day. But you can't be normal to do it. You have to be weird. Which is okay for us because we're in a church. We're already halfway there, aren't we? Yeah? Normal's fighting and hurting and worrying and stressing. And panic and materialism. That's normal. That makes me mad. So it's your choice. For those of you who want to be weird like me, you can be. And then as you're faithful with what God's given you, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you read the scriptures, he is going to bless you. Oh, yeah, it might not be with lots of money. It might be something else entirely. But guaranteed, he's going to bless you. And one day you'll wake up with no debt And you'll have more money than you could ever imagine. And then the question is going to be, how much of it do I blow on myself? Because really, 10% tithe is a laughable starting point. It's 10%. God's given us 100%. He said, you can keep 90. That's a pretty good deal. 10% is a starting point. I know a guy in America who tithes 90% and lives on 10%. But his 10% is more than you and I could ever imagine seeing in a lifetime. It's a lot of money. But God has blessed him. So how are we going to get there? Hard work, sacrifice, faithfulness, consistency. Anyone heard of Dave Ramsey? No. Yes, a couple of nodding people. Yes, you should. You should. Christian man, American, um, well-known teacher on this subject. He calls. He calls what you need gazelle. Intensity. Gazelle intensity. Because let me tell you, when the gazelle is being chased by a lion, the one thing he has is intensity. He has focus. There is only one thing he is doing, and that is getting away. And he's got all these moves. He's all over the place. you. When you watch the gazelle run, they don't run in a straight line. They're running all over the place. They have intensity because they're running for their life, and you are fighting for your financial Life as well. Free yourselves like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Proverbs twenty two, seven is where we start, and that's where we'll finish. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And we are followers of Christ, we will not have our hearts in this world. We will not be servants or slaves or in bondage to anything but Jesus Christ. That is the only place we need to be a servant. Let no debt remain outstanding except a continual debt to love one another. What's your vision? Get it. Embrace it. Seek God for it and live according to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the God, as we've sung already, who gives and takes away. You give and take away. And Lord, as the band comes now to perhaps sing that song again, would you give us our vision, Lord, as we seek you, as we sit with you, as we spend time with you seeking what you have for our lives, what you have called us to do, the one thing that, that we need to have gazelle intensity and focus for. Father, would you give us that vision? And then, Lord, would you enable us to plan to be able to fulfill it? Because we know, Lord, that you are the God who goes with us. Holy Spirit, you are the one who comes alongside us. And we know, Lord, that we will not be doing it alone. But, Father, we, we know also from your scriptures that it is true that you bless those who manage your business well. And Lord, we want to be good managers because, Father, we want your blessings. We have been blessed beyond what we can imagine already, Father. We want to be good managers. So, Father, as we go out this week, as we work this week to define our vision, as we sit with you, as you give that to us, Lord, would you give us the wisdom and the time to set aside to work out where you want us to go with. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ross.